Welcome, everyone, to our KPMG ESG podcast series. And today we're going to focus specifically on the S of ESG. And today the episode is going to focus on key issues that organizations are currently grappling with around inclusion, diversity, and equity. My name is Rob Davis. I'm a tax partner here at KPMG and also our Chief Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity Officer. I'm joined today by Andy Pilkington, Executive Vice President, Lending Solutions and Specialized Sales Forces at TD. Andy, welcome. Thanks very much, Rob. I'm thrilled to be here. So, Andy, we've had lots of great discussions over the past few months on inclusion, diversity, and equity. And I can tell you're incredibly passionate about this this subject. So where did this passion to be an advocate for inclusion and equity come from? Oh, it goes back a a long, long way, Rob, I'd say to uh, childhood. And I have a slightly different background, I guess, from a typical Canadian executive. You can tell from the accent for a starter. Uh, You know, I am a white male and I have, you know, the privilege of being a white male and everything that goes with that. Uh, But again, slightly different. I was actually born and bred in Liverpool, um, which you may or may not know, home of the Beatles and the soccer club, um, both of which are are awesome, Um, but very working class um, city and and a city with a checkered history. You know, it was at the center of the uh, slave triangle, you know, going back hundreds of years. Uh, And then it became very much, it's a deep sea port. It became the gateway to the new world. So any immigrants coming from across Europe who wanted to come to the US and Canada, you know, invariably passed through the ports of Liverpool. And some of them didn't quite make it to the new world. Some of them stopped and stayed. So it's a very ethnically diverse background in the city. And I grew up with lots of friends uh, with many different ethnic backgrounds. I then, at the age of 18, went to university in the UK. And I guess it'd be the equivalent of an Ivy League uh, here in North America. And that's when I first started to see real discrimination against women, against BIPOC. I also saw class discrimination. And, you know, as a working class boy from a working class family in a working class city, I found myself being quite excluded. And that's when I first started to get passionate, you know, about being an ally to all and sundry, you know, women, black friends I had. And I guess that was that was really when I first found my voice at university. Andy, you, you touched on privilege. And I often find, you know, people who carry privilege may think their voice isn't really needed or welcome in the conversation around yep. uh, inclusion. But allyship is such a critical role for all of us uh, to play. And, and that's why certainly at KPMG, We've been focusing on providing our people with education, tools, and resources to really grow their own personal allyship journeys, which I think is just so important. So I'm curious to hear from you, like, what have you learned um, in your allyship journey, and what advice do you have for leaders um, on demonstrating allyship? Yeah, great question, Rob. I mean, I I was talking about myself uh, a minute or two ago in the mid-80s at university, Um, But I think, you know, I started uh, allowing myself to get uncomfortable uh, with some of the own personal challenges I had. I'll give you an example, again, back to Liverpool. Liverpool is is geographically parked opposite Ireland. And we used to, and still do, have many Irish immigrants coming in. And they've got a different accent. And, you know, as a kid, we used to laugh and joke, um, poke fun uh, at the Irish accent. And I found as, as I got older, and a bit more mature, I just started to feel uncomfortable, even with that, which, you know, back in my childhood would have been viewed as completely normal and innocuous uh, almost. So, you know, my advice really centers around 
how this manifests itself in our day-to-day behaviors. You know, you can show real allyship by stopping and listening, you know, ensuring you create space for others, making sure they're heard and validated. I mean, often we'll have large groups of people we're talking to as senior executives. I'm sure you face the same, Rob, and we'll say, any questions? Uh, and there could be people who've got questions, uh, but they just, you know, don't feel comfortable putting their hand up and asking them. Uh, so I think being a good ally is often, you know, and it depends on the size of the group, obviously, but making sure you elicit an opinion from everybody, you know, in the room uh, to show that sort of um, variety of thought leadership. You know, be a change agent, you know, use your network um, to influence um, others. Both you and I have got huge networks, Rob. You know, we should be using those networks. Understanding your privilege as a senior executive, you know, you can influence a lot of people. So calling it out when you see things that are wrong, being a little braver than you might have been, it may be uncomfortable still, um, but actually making sure that you can really use your privilege, use your seniority, use your position in society, whatever it may be, that when you see bad things that you call them out and then we see change. Sandy, you made a very um, interesting observation, you know, the difference between diversity and inclusion. We can all sort of do our best to build a very diverse workforce, but if you're not inclusive, if you're not listening to all those voices, if you're not making sure all the voices around the table are being heard, then it's not inclusive. Absolutely. Which, you know, to me, defeats the purpose. So that's, you know, I love that uh, distinction that you, that you made, actually. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of building a diverse workforce, uh, the recruitment process is obviously critical. Um, and that's where we often see a lot of bias, right, in, yeah. the, in the hiring decisions that, uh, that are being made. So someone who's been in these decision-making roles, I'm curious to hear, like, what lessons have you learned about your own personal biases? And also, like, how does that show up in the hiring process? Yeah. Another good question. Actually, you know, as I, as I think about that, as you were, you were asking the question, it reminded me of a hiring situation I had in a previous company where I had an executive role available uh, and the best person I felt for the role was a non-executive. So it would have been a promotion. Um, but to cut a long story short, she was heavily pregnant, seven or eight months, uh, not far off giving birth. But I still encouraged her to apply and she sailed through the process and, and she was the best person. So I appointed her you know, before she went out on mat leave. And the reaction of people in the company shocked me. I got lots of emails, people called me, congratulating me on doing something that should have been done, but no one ever thought of doing in the past. And, you know, for me, I felt like I was just doing what was right. She was the best candidate. Okay, she was going on mat leave. We'd have to wait a year. We could put interim solutions in place and then the best person and the right person comes back to the job. But like being congratulated on doing the right thing was a bit of a weird concept for me. Um, but it does show you, you know, it's good to talk, but it's much better to, to act. And I think equity, you know, can be, can be made or it can be broken in what we do on a day-to-day basis, how we and who we allocate work to, you know, who do we give stretch opportunities to, who do we choose to mentor? You know, if we just mentor people like us, then that's just not going to work as well as, you know, we introduce diversity. Uh, having those diverse candidate slates, I know they're the, you know, it's become a buzz phrase, is really important. So I always look at any team that I'm hiring for, uh, what's the existing team look like? Who's underrepresented? That'll normally give you a good steer as to where you need to go. Uh, and then look at something maybe as mundane as job descriptions. You know, job descriptions just shouldn't be the, 
you know, the, the remit of human resources. You know, look at the language in job descriptions. I look at job descriptions and see words like competitive and, de, you know, determined and dominant. You know, and research shows that masculine language like that would make a lot of women feel excluded. Andy, I, I love your example on sort of creating more inclusive job postings as one way to unbias the recruitment process. Certainly something that, that we're taking a very hard look at as well at uh, KPMG. It's a great takeaway for anyone uh, listening. And I mean, looking at opportunities to create a more inclusive recruitment process, as I said, is something that, that we are sort of looking at heavily. We are working with our employee resource groups, you know, specifically our underrepresented groups to get their feedback and ideas on sort of where we have gaps in our recruitment process yep. and, and, and try to fill those uh, gaps. And we've, you know, try to come up with new strategies to connect with diverse talent in the market. You know, for me, you know, really, really critical to take these steps you know, to ensure that we're attracting and um, hiring the best and, and brightest, I think, as we know, you know, in this sort of almost post-pandemic world, the war for talent is is raging. And so we're certainly trying to do as much as we can to make sure that we're attracting the the best and the brightest. And, you know, that, you know, what you just mentioned is, is, is a very, is a key part of it. Yeah. And you, you know, KPMG's like TD, Rob. I mean, you're everywhere across Canada. And I think it's so important that, you know, both of our organizations reflect the communities in which we live and work. I mean, I think it's, you know, having diversity in your organizations is a proven, proven winning business strategy. Andy, and it's something that our clients and our people are demanding. Absolutely. So it is a business imperative for sure. Yeah. So, you know, one thing I want to talk about, Andy, is accountability. You know, I strongly believe that when we have leaders walking the talk, it really drives the right inclusive culture um, for our people. You know, tone at the top is is absolutely critical. And we've certainly been encouraging our leaders to develop their inclusive leadership skills. All of our partners, you know, have set goals for a number of years now around contributing to our inclusion, diversity, and equity strategy. Great. And as a firm, we've also set goals around advancing diversity of our partnership. And, um, you know, this is linked, actually linked to partner compensation, right? And when we link things to one's compensation, it tends to drive the right behaviors, right? So what are some of your thoughts on how we can hold our leaders accountable for creating an inclusive culture? And like, do you have any tips for new leaders specifically in terms of, tr of trying to build their inclusive leadership style? You know, I, I'd say with leaders, you know, I challenge people to really, you know, watch for the language you use, you know, watch the behaviors that you're demonstrating you know, don't be silent when you see things that aren't right, sort of speak up. If you as a leader aren't going to speak up, but then what chance, you know, everybody else. And I'll give you another quick anecdote from from my past. Uh, Rob, again, a, an organization uh, I left, it was the same one I was talking about earlier. Um, but I had a guy who worked for me uh, and he asked me to attend his offsites. And we had, you know, uh, good sessions during the day. We had a nice dinner and then he stood up at the end uh, over dinner, gave out a few awards, made a nice speech. And then at the very end, he said, uh, okay, boys, that's exactly what he said, how he addressed his team. Okay, boys, uh, I've got lots of beer in my room. I've got the poker chips. So I'll see you all up there in 15 minutes. And I couldn't quite believe what I was hearing. And I looked around at the faces of his team and half of his team were women. And you can imagine how they were feeling, how excluded, uh, but, you know, next day, I mean, I could have just sort of said, oh, whatever, it was just a mistake. But I held him to account and I sat down with him and he didn't see it the same way as I did until I actually said, how do you imagine 
the women in the room felt when you said, okay, boys, let's go and drink beer and, and you know, play some poker. Um, so I think it's, it was easier for me because he was working for me. But I'd like to think that if that was my boss who'd done that, I actually would have probably phrased differently and a bit more diplomatically, you know, had a similar uh, conversation. So, you know, I think you've got to communicate with transparency to people, uh, you know, let them ask questions, ensure you've got great alignment and really hold yourself accountable. Now on the topic of new leaders, which is one of my favorite topics, you know, I guess a few uh, pieces of advice as, as you asked, Rob, very kindly, thank you for that. You know, I'd say two or three things. First of all, you know, get to know your people really well, especially if you've got, you, you've moved mandates and you're going to a completely different area of your organization, uh, or you've hired people from different cultures that you're not familiar with, take the opportunity to learn. Uh, another thing I'd say is, uh, and I've heard this on many occasions, but you know, we were given two ears and one mouth and you know, leaders in particular should use them in that proportion, you know, listen rather than talk. I think new leaders are always tempted to you know, talk too much because it's, I've got to show how bright I am and how I deserve this promotion to be given all these people to look after. That's the worst thing you can do, listen more and talk less. And lastly, um, you know, one of the greatest leadership characteristics, I believe, is humility. And I remember hearing a CEO speak saying that the difference between a good leader and a great leader is humility. So admit your mistakes, you know, create space for others, show humility. You will really, really benefit from it and you will become a great leader. I love those messages, Andy. And, you know, the education piece is, is uh, key for me as well. And just trying to understand sort of other cultures, other, you know, people that are not like you. Totally. You know, the, the, the typical example that I, that I see of, you know, straight white male who loves golf, mentoring another straight white male who loves golf. <laughs> yes. You know, that, that may What are you going to learn? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right. You got to get out of your comfort zone. Totally. Right. You know, mentor and, you know, try to bring up somebody behind you who is not like you. Yeah. Right. Either, you know, racially, culturally, gender, you know, whatever the sort of diversity aspect is. I just, totally you know, try to learn from others who are not like you. Perfect. Totally agree. Um, any any closing thoughts or, or, or key takeaways, Andy? Yeah. You know, I guess this we're on a we're on a journey. I know it's a bit cliched, um, but we are. You know, when you think uh, inclusion and diversity, all companies and society is talking about a lot, but we've been fighting the opposite of inclusion and diversity for hundreds of years now. I don't know whether it's exclusion and privilege, how we'd uh, frame it. Uh, I do think things are getting better, but we still have such a long way to go. And the only way things are getting better is through everybody being engaged. Uh, and, you know, it's been a privilege for me to be engaged with you now, Rob, for best part of a year. It's been one of the uh, the best relationships I've built in COVID. And this is the first time we've met face to face. So that's been sort of awesome. But, you know, I think people, you know, being engaged, being part of the story and pushing hard for change is the only way we're going to actually move on to the next chapters. Uh, so please, that would be my message to everybody is don't think it's somebody else's job to do this. It's everybody's. Yeah, agreed, Andy. Senior leaders, I totally agree. It's it's all of our jobs, right? Andy, thank you so much. That This has been a true pleasure Likewise. to uh, be with you here today. Thanks, Thanks so, much. so much, Rob. Appreciate it.